0: We're finishing this series, uh, the series, The S Word, today, and I, I just want to start with a concept that I think is really, really important. It's the, the concept is this, God is the only one in the universe who's sovereign. By that, I mean God is the ultimate authority in the world that we live in. When we were kids, we, re, we, we thought... I can't wait to what? I can't wait to be done with school. I can't wait to move out of the house. I can't wait to have my own job because then I don't have any responsibility, right? I don't have anybody to answer to. I can spend my time however we want. I can spend my money however I want. I'll have absolute freedom when I just grow up and get out of home. Anybody remember thinking that? How'd that work for you? Uh, the reality is, it doesn't matter at what stage of life we're in, we all still have people that we have to listen to, right? If you're working, you've got a boss, maybe a business, a company that, that, you've, that you've got to respond to, that you've got to submit to. Um, if, if, maybe if you, you work for yourself, you still have to listen to your customers maybe to your shareholders. Maybe you're retired. you got to listen to your doctor. Uh, you got to listen to your kids and obey your kids at that point. We all have people that we have to listen to. God is the only one who's sovereign, who, who reigns over the entire universe. And so we can listen to him. We can trust him. We're going to see that lived out in one of the scriptures a little bit later this morning. In this series that we've been talking about, we've been talking about the S word, about the word submission. It's a word that's difficult for us in our culture because it means to place oneself under another. We choose to submit, to, to, to listen to a person um, that we submit to. And that's difficult for us because we live in a culture that says, no, we're the king of the universe. We're, we determine for ourselves um, right and wrong. We determine wh- what we want, what we don't want. I hope that you've seen kind of underline, although we haven't talked about it a lot, that through this series, there's this concept in Scripture called mutual submission. This idea that we're called to submit, but the the ones to whom we submit also choose to submit to to others as well, or or to us in reality. In the first week, if you think back to that first week when we talked about submitting um, to church leaders... uh, To be subject to your leaders and follow them as they lead. As Christians, we're called to submit to the leadership of the church, to the staff, to the elders, maybe the small group leader, wherever that whatever that is. But the flip side of that is that there's clear instruction for those people who serve in those roles. To the leaders, to the elders. There's this recognition that they expend themselves. They give up their freedom, their flexibility. They give up a lot of what they want to do in order to be able to serve the body of Christ. That's a a part of that mutual submission. The second week, we talked about submitting to our governing authorities. There's clear teaching from Scripture that we're supposed to submit to to the government. That's hard for us. But in those passages, it also talks about that the government is there to to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil, that the government's there's an extension of God's authority for us on earth. And so it doesn't matter what kind of government it is, whether it's a democracy, whether it's a monarchy, it doesn't matter what kind of government it is, the government exists to serve the people that it governs. There's that concept of mutual submission that takes place there. The third week, we talked about submitting to our boss at work even when they don't know what they're doing. You know, this this sense that we're supposed to submit at work, that, that we're to come alongside them, we're to serve those people under us, that if we want to be great, we need to be servant of all, that we need to treat our employees fairly because they're fellow heirs with us in Jesus. Last week, we talked about... Uh, children obeying their parents, submitting to their parents. Clear biblical teaching. You, you know what? Submit to your parents, kids. That's the that's the responsibility we have. But last week it was really easy to see because there was clear teaching to um, to the parents, to the fathers as well. Don't exasperate your kids. Don't don't make them angry. Don't provoke them. And so that there's that concept of mutual submission. Today we're going to talk about it ironically enough, on Valentine's Day weekend in the, context, in the context of marriage. We're going to talk about husbands and wives. And this is a difficult message to hear. It's a difficult message to preach. Before we jump in, let me, let me just uh, give you some warnings. Um, <laughs> if you're not married this morning and you want to be someday... And you want to be, listen to this message really clearly to hear what God says, so that you have this concept in your mind that's a biblical concept of what marriage looks like. So that as you meet people, as you date, that you determine that's the kind of relationship that I want, the, the relationship that God designed, because God's sovereign. He's the one who, who wrote the plan for us. So if you're single, but you want to get married, listen for the future. If you're, if you're not married today and you don't ever want to get married, um, let, me, let me just say this. As I, as I was prepping for this um, message, I, something came really clear to me, and it doesn't fit to say very many times except in the message like this. If that's where you are, make sure that God has given you a gift of singleness and that you're not simply choosing to not get married because you're selfish. That's, that's pretty harsh, but let me, let me say that again. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says, Paul says, I wish that everybody were like me because they could, they could just expend themselves for the kingdom. But God has given different people different gifts. That sense of singleness is a gift. that It's, not, it's, it's a calling for some. And if you don't have that calling... Be open to what God might have for you and to listen to this message in terms of thinking about what... It may be that you're not married because you think, uh, you know, I've never seen a good model. Hopefully this morning we can describe what that relationship looks like in a cool way. Um, If you're married today and your marriage is a mess... This message, is, it's going to be difficult to hear. It's going to be difficult to listen to. I would encourage you to hear it. Let God speak to you and see what can I do in my role, in my marriage, to obey God. And how can I trust him that he'll work in that process? And if you're married today and your marriage is great, listen to the clear instruction that comes to us today from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at Ephesians 5. We're actually going to look at a number of scriptures, uh, but we're going to start really uh, Ephesians 5 is going to kind of be the core uh, text that we use today. Um, in Ephesians 5, starting about verse 22, it's interesting. There's about three verses and a half verse down in verse 33 that speak to women. So about three and a half verses for women. There's about seven and a half verses that um, that are directly for men. Which means means one of two things. It either means that the that the um, instruction for wives is lots, lots harder, twice as hard probably as that for the guys, or it means that the guys are probably twice as dense as the women, and, it, and they need to just hear it over and over and over again. So, this is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Down in verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, if you're like most American women in the 21st century, I either have your full attention right now or you've already tuned me out and think about lunch. Everything's shut down. We live in a culture that hates the word Submission that hates that concept of placing myself underneath someone else. It's a concept that we've struggled with for the last four weeks, but when we start to talk about it in the context of marriage, it sounds like a terrible thing. It sounds like a return to slavery, like it's designed to limit you from being all you can be. I, I want us, though, to understand what Scripture says. I want us to be rock solid that, um, that what God's Word says comes from him as sovereign of the universe. Don't trust what I say this morning. Go to Scripture and see what Scripture says. Let Scripture determine what you think rather than letting what you think determine what Scripture says. Does that make sense? Three different times in, that, in those three and a half verses that we read from Ephesians, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Three different times. Uh, to the church in Colossia, Paul writes. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. To Titus, a preacher, Paul writes, Older women are to train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be reviled. Peter wrote not to a particular place, but to Christians all over the, the area Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Submit to your husbands. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and don't fear anything that's frightening. Four different letters, four different places of instruction to two specific churches, to churches as a whole, to a young preacher from two different writers who say virtually the same thing. Wives, submit to the leadership, to the authority of your husband. Place yourself underneath their authority. Honor them, follow them, follow their lead. Why did God say that? I think it's an expression of the authority structure that he created. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says this, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. There is this authority structure that God designed from the beginning of time. God's sovereign. He's the one ultimately in charge. It goes, God is in charge of Jesus. Jesus is in charge of every man. And in the marriage relationship, the husband leads the wife. There's an authority structure that's there that's from God. I know that that feels, that sounds counterculture, and yet that's what God's Word says. God created a sense of order for us, a sense of order that He determined is the best way for us to relate to each other. Why did God do that? I don't know. I I think 1 Peter 3 explains some ideas, but that's not where I want to go today on that. And I know it raises all kinds of questions because we live in a culture that we talk about the equality of women. Women can do uh, everything a man can. Um, You know, talk this past week in the presidential debates, should women have to register for the draft or not? We live in a culture that 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 sense of equality is is, um, significant. And so we ask questions. We say, well, wait a second. What if the woman is a better leader than her husband? What if the husband doesn't want to lead? What if the husband's a lousy leader? What if the husband's not a follower of Jesus? What's, what's that look like? It's, it's scary, isn't it, wives, to think about submitting to your husband. It's, um, it's, there's potential that your husband can lead the wrong way. It feels like when we choose to submit, that we give up our rights, that we give up kind of what we've earned in education, in experience, in wisdom, in knowledge. It's, it's hard and it's scary. First Peter 3, if, if you go back there and listen to these words, it's interesting that Peter says this. He says, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. If you're her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Peter says, it's a scary thing to submit to your husband. It's a frightening thing. Peter recognizes that. And yet that's the challenge that's there, wives. Um, you know, anytime that you give up control, it's it's scary, isn't it? Because we've got to trust somebody. Um, a number of years ago, I was doing a whole bunch of weddings at, at a church that we were at. I was, you know, I was doing six, eight, ten weddings a year. And Deb said to me one time, she said, you know, it would be so cool if we could learn how to ballroom dance so that when we go to a wedding and there's dancing, we could not like just do the YMCA uh, or Macarena kind of thing, um, but we could really dance like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. So I got this great idea for Christmas one year. I got us lessons to go ballroom dancing, to learn how to ballroom dance. As if you can learn to ballroom dance in three lessons. Um, I'm just saying. But it was a wonderful present. Deb was thrilled. So go, we go, you know they take us through these things and learn about, you know, they get a sense of how, how rhythmic you are, you know, how you can move, all that kind of stuff. And then they begin to teach these steps. So we're on the floor and, and doing this particular step, and the instructor says real clearly, understand the man always leads when you dance. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter uh, if you like it or not. The man always leads. So you have to follow the man's lead. So they teach us this step, and we start to dance, and the instructor says, okay, just go ahead, go to the music. You just continue to dance. So we're, we're working through these steps, and Deb says to me while the music's playing, I'm doing pretty good, we're doing pretty good at this, aren't we? And I said, actually, no. Um, and, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm supposed to lead, let me lead. And she said, I am letting you lead. And I said, actually, no, you're not letting me lead. Said, said, follow, follow my lead, let my feet determine where we go. She said, this is hard. <laughs> Finally, she she said, she said, just a second, she shuts her eyes, and and then we dance, and with her eyes shut, she could follow my lead. When she could see everything around, she trusted herself, but when her eyes were shut, she could trust me to lead in the process. We were done. The instructor said, "How'd how'd that go? How'd that feel? And she said, That's scary. It's a, you know, it's a frightening thing to trust somebody to, simple illustration, but that's the picture that God designed when He says, wives, submit to your husbands. What's, what's that look like? What's it look like to submit to your husband? Um, let, me, let me just try and flesh that out in, in um, some simple ways. Um, wives, it, it means that you honor your husband, that you honor him with the, things that you say and the things that you do. When you choose to submit, it it means that you raise him up and follow his lead, that that you choose to do what he would like rather than what you would like, even if you think that you know what's better. Honor your husband. Um, submission Submission is not becoming a passive doormat. Understand that, wives. Submission doesn't mean that you curl up in a ball and never say anything. Submission means that you communicate. It means that you communicate, you share what's on your heart, that you share what you think, that you're actively involved in conversation about all kinds of things so that your husband knows your heart. Husbands, we're going to talk to you in just a few minutes. But you've got to communicate your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas, your perspectives, your wisdom. Submission means that you follow the lead of your husband. Let me encourage you to pray for your husband to lead. Let me encourage you to expect him to lead. Let me encourage you to help him lead and allow him to lead. And through that whole process, to trust God in that. Trust God to work through him in your marriage. Recognize that your trust is not in your husband. Your trust is in God as you submit, that God would work through him. And let me give you two two kind of negative things to say as you think about what submission looks like in your relationship. The first is this. Don't manipulate your husband, ladies. You can choose to submit. You can choose to say, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to do what you choose. But if you choose that one, you're sleeping on the couch for the next two weeks, all right? Wives, don't manipulate your husband's in the name of submission. The second, the the last piece is don't undermine your husband's authority as you submit. By that, I mean it's possible for you to say, yeah, I'm willing to follow my wife's lead or my husband's lead. I'm, I'm willing to follow my husband's lead and then do, but, but you know what? He's choosing the wrong path. And so you verbally follow his lead and then do everything that you can to undermine that, to make sure that it's the wrong decision and make sure that he knows it. Don't do that. Submission is, it's willingly placing yourself under the authority of your husband. It's choosing to, to place him as the leader and, and to follow his lead. That's tough stuff. Submission doesn't mean that you'll always agree. Um, submission allows you to have animated discussions together before you land in a place together. Animated discussions, those we have those at our house. You know, conversations. That, that bring um, two different perspectives together before ultimately somebody's got to make the call. Um, there's a book that, that has been really helpful to me over the last 15 years. Uh, for a number of years, I was in a in a leadership role in churches, but not as as lead pastor. And there's this book called Leading from the Second Chair that was really helpful. And as I was prepping the message, I thought, oh, you know what, the, the core issues of that book are the core issues for submission for us in every area, but they're, they're, they're issues, the issues of submission for wives to husband. Yeah, um, in leading from the second chair, it talks about being submissive and yet having significant influence in leadership within the organization. Um, in our context right now, talking about having significant influence in leadership with, within the family, within the home, within the marriage. He, the, the authors talk about three different kind of paradoxes, things that are, that, that are, that are in tension, but that <clears throat> exist together. The first one, he says that, that the person who's in the second chair, not the primary leader, but in the second chair must be willing to submit their plans to the discretion of the primary leader, and find the line between leading and serving. I think that that's a great description of what submission looks like for wives. They've they've uh, they've got to be willing to submit their plans to the discretion of of their husbands and find that line between leading and serving. That's a that's a balance there. The second paradox that he talks about is that um, that second chair leaders must must use their expertise, develop expertise in one area, but at the same time keep an eye on the broader organization and goals and vision. What that means practically is in your home, wives, there are areas that you're especially skilled at. Your husband needs you to work in those roles and, and needs you to, to develop those skills in incredible ways. But at the same time, you've got to have this picture for the whole family, for the whole marriage, and, and, and what's best for that. To be focused in an area, but to, but to have the picture for the, uh, for the whole thing. The third paradox that he describes is that, um, that second chair leaders must find their contentment, happiness, and joy in their particular role, while at the same time coping with the restlessness that sometimes comes from ambition, ambitious dreams of their own for leadership. That, that describes that tension that we're talking about in our culture for wives is you say, okay, how do I submit to my husband? There is this sense that, you, that, that, that there's a coming to grips with saying, God, I don't understand this, but this is where you have me. This is the role you have for me. I'm going to accept that. I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to flourish in that role. And yet there's something inside me that says, oh, are there other things going on? How does that fit together? That paradox, that tension is there. Uh, Wives, trust God and make the choices that that happen on a daily basis to submit, to place yourself under, to to follow the leadership of your husband. Uh, Wives, you ready for me to move on? at this point. Uh, here we go. Um, guys, take a look. Ephesians back, back to Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present, him, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Husbands, there's clear teaching for us from God that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, to be willing to die for her because Christ did for the church, to cherish her as Christ cherishes the church. That's the picture of what love looks like for us. To the church in Colossia, Paul wrote, Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Peter wrote, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's clear biblical teaching, gentlemen, that we're to love our wives in a love that looks very different than the love that our culture describes. God commands us to love our wives. It's not an option. It's not a feeling. It's not conditional. It's not the kind of thing that, oh, if she loves me, I'll love her. If she cooks great, I'll love her. If she looks great, I'll love her. It's not that at all. God commands us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You'll find in those passages there is no command for husbands to take control of your wives. The command is for us to love and serve them. Submission is not anything that a husband can demand of a wife. Submission is God's call directly to the woman, the call to the men is to love your wives as Christ loved the church. That love that we're commanded to have isn't a feeling. We tend to judge whether or not we're in love by how we feel. We say, you know, I I just don't love her anymore. I'm, I'm not feeling it. That's not what we find in Scripture. It says plainly, husbands, love your wives. That's a willful choice. Loving your wives is an agape kind of love, the sacrificial kind of love. There are four different words in the Greek that are used for love. The, the, the Greek was the language that the New Testament was written in. Four different kinds of love. Um, agape love, it's a, it's a will to love, a sacrificial love. It's a determination that we will choose to love another no matter what the cost. Eros is the love that describes romantic love. It's the good, gushy feelings. Eros is the Valentine's Day kind of love. It's the romance thing. Storge is the word for familial love, the the love that a parent has for his kids, Uh, a, a love that recognizes the flaws in the other but remains committed to each other because of their blood relationship. Phileo is the love that comes from being a best friend from somebody who shares an outlook, who shares experiences and interests. We want that phileo love. We want somebody to do life with so that we're not alone. All three of those kinds of love are great, but the greatest is agape love. Agape love, the choice to love. That's a decision that we make to love no matter what. It's the love that we commit to in our wedding vows. It's the love that lasts. That love is much deeper and stronger. It's a a love that chooses to give even if nothing is given in return. It's the kind of love that God has for us when we turn our backs on Him over and over and over again, and yet He chooses to continue to love us. That's agape. When Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, he is saying agape your wives. Absolutely pursue romance. Absolutely deepen that friendship. Absolutely live and laugh and love together. But if you're serious about following Jesus, love her with a love that has you willing to die for her. On May twenty second, 2011, Um, In southwest Missouri, that particular day, it was a sunny day. Deb and I were in town to celebrate um, our daughter and our son-in-law's graduation from college. Um, We knew that there was a storm coming. We left Joplin about 5 o'clock, a little bit before that, that particular day. And there were threats of storms. But in southwestern Missouri, there's always threats of tornadoes. You just kind of live with it, don't think anything about it. When the tornado hit Joplin that particular evening, the tornado was a mile wide, going 12 miles an hour. It churned through the center of town. It was on the ground for six miles and and devastated, destroyed uh, better than a quarter of the housing of the city of Um, 40,000. In the middle of the path, of that tornado was a house that was owned by Don and Beth Lanzal, a couple that had just been married about six years. And when the tornado was coming and the sirens went off, they went to the center of their house, um, into the bathroom, got into the bathtub, and Don threw himself on top of his wife, Beth, to protect her. When the tornado hit their house, debris from the tornado, from the exploding house, pierced Don's back and body, pierced both lungs. And he died laying on top of his wife, protecting her from the effects of the tornado. That's the love that God calls us to have for our wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, can I ask you some questions that seem silly when you hear about that act of selflessness that Don Hansel had for his wife Beth? If you're willing to die for your wife, why are you not willing to squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube (laughs) or the end of the tube? (laughs) If you're willing to die for your wife, why are you not willing to do the dishes? If you're willing to die for your wife, why are you not willing to turn the television off and talk to her? If you're willing to die for your wife, why are you not willing to give up that promotion or to sell that snowmobile for your wife? Why are you not willing to give up that bad habit or that night of cards or whatever it is that has become a wedge between you and your wife? I spent the first half of today's message talking to wives given a message that's completely counterculture, that's hard for many of them to hear. And guys, can I just say that? It's hard for them to hear, for many of them to hear because of you. Do you want to make it easier for your wives to follow Jesus in this area? Let, Let me give you just some real practical things to think about. First is this, get to know her all over again. Your wife is not the same person that you married a year ago, or five years ago, or 50 years ago. Get to know her needs, her desires, her dreams all over again. Court her. Study her like you do your fantasy football team. Honor and respect your wife at home, in public, on the phone. In the bedroom, if you want to make it easy for her to follow your leadership, husbands, be trustworthy. Don't hide things. Don't be selfish. Die to your desires, to your needs, your wants. Jesus did. Do whatever it takes to take care of her, to meet her needs. Communicate with your wife. Tell her what you're thinking and feeling. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Have that dialogue, that conversation with her. Guys, can I, can I say this? Take the skills that you use at work and apply them to your marriage relationship. Some of you are project managers, and as soon as you leave work, you take those project management skills and you put them on a shelf and you never even think about using them at home. Project management says, here's where we want to be at this point in time. Here's how we get there. Take those skills and use those in your marriage to say, where do we want to be in two years, in five years, in 10 years? How, what are the things that we need to do, the steps we need to take to do that? Maybe you're creative. Maybe you're not a project manager. Maybe, maybe you're an artist. Don't leave those creative skills at work. Think about what you can do creatively to love your wife. Think about creatively what you, can, uh, what you can do creatively to impact your home. And use those creative skills in the context of your marriage and your home. It may be that you're mechanically inclined, that, that you work in such a way that, you're, that your focus at work is to analyze problems, to break them down and fix them. And, and, and to recognize what's, what's gone wrong and, and how to make it right. Take those skills and apply them to your marriage relationship. Recognize where the stress points are in your relationship and apply oil, apply the grease that can make those parts work together in a way that can allow you to have a healthy and happy relationship. Lastly, let me, let me encourage you to pursue God first, guys, to lead spiritually at home. Make your primary relationship be the one that you have with God. Let it drive every aspect of your life, that everything springs out of your relationship with Jesus. It's easier for your wife to submit to you if she knows that you're submitting to God. Take the initiative at home regarding the spiritual health of your family. You be the one to make the commitment to join a life group. You be the first one up on Sunday morning getting the kids ready to bring them to church. You be the one who says, you know what, we need to be serving God's kingdom somehow. How can we do that? Mutual submission is an incredibly beautiful thing. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, you know what, when marriage works the way that it's supposed to, it's this attractive, this compelling picture of Christ's love for the church, and it draws people to God. Wives, if your husband is willing to die for you, if he's willing to meet your needs at every turn, if he's going to take care of you, if he's not going to hold anything back in reserve... Is it a difficult thing to follow his leadership? I don't think so. There's such a, such a strong sense of what that looks like and how that draws us to God. For all of us, as we look at the husband's side, the wife's side, there's this sense that we've, we recognize that we've got to give up control, and that's a difficult thing. Let me just ask, what kind of leader... What kind of person is stronger? The person who exercises their leadership for their own benefit or the person who chooses to use their leadership skills, their maybe positional power to serve others. It's that second kind of leader. It's the, it's the one who says, you know what? I'm going to take those skills that God has given me, that place that God has given me, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of everyone else around That applies to both husbands and wives. Wives, recognize that God has blessed you. God has created you to do incredible things. And when you choose to say, you know what, I'm going to use all that God has gifted me with to bless my husband and my family, there's incredible power in that. Husbands, when we recognize, you know what God has placed us in a position of, of authority. He's He's allowed us to be the leader in our homes, and we choose to take that leadership and to not use it um, in any kind of uh, offensive way. But we choose to use that role that God has given to serve our wives, to take care of them, to take care of our family. That's an incredibly powerful tool. Erwin Mena was arrested in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. He was charged with 22 felonies and 8 misdemeanors. They all stem from the fact that for the last 22 years, Mena has posed as a Catholic priest in a variety of Catholic parishes and lived in that role and stolen money from the people of those particular parishes. Incredible things, for over 20 years, he's been imitating a priest. When I read that story, I thought, wow, 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 he faces 20 years in prison as a result of all the money that he's stolen, something better than $53,000. You know, there are a lot of folks who dress up and speak the speech and talk about being a Christian, and yet they're not, just like Mena wasn't an actual priest. There's a lot of folks who are going through the motions, who who know the right things to say, who know the right things to do, but ultimately it comes down to this issue of submission. For the last five weeks, we've been talking about a, a hard, hard concept that we choose to let go of control of our lives in five different areas, the bottom line is this, the most important area of your life in which you're called to submit is in your relationship with God. It's to submit to Jesus above anyone else, to allow him to come in and have complete control over your life. You could probably do all the other five areas And your life will be lots better. But if you don't submit to Jesus, you will have missed the entire point. If you submit to Jesus, those other five areas that we've been talking about for the last five weeks, they should spill out of us. There's clear direction because it's hard work for us to do that. But that's what God has called us to do. We call this series the S word because it's a bad word in our culture, submission, and yet it's a beautiful concept when we, when we recognize that we can allow Jesus to come in, take over every aspect of our life, and that it, it ultimately impacts every aspect of our life. That's the challenge. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never done that, please come talk to me. Come talk to one of the leaders here at North Point. Come talk, talk to your life group leader most importantly talk directly to God and just say God I've been trying to do it on my own I've been I've been trying to take control of my life and it's not working I know that you love me allow me God help me to allow you to have complete control of my life let's pray Okay God I'm I'm just so so aware of how how serious this is this whole concept of submission i'm aware of how much we fight it how much satan says in our ears did god really say is that really what god wants Lord, we need your help. We need your word. And God, we we need to allow you to have complete control of our lives. Father, I thank you that Jesus chose to submit to you, to come to earth, to go to the cross for us that we could experience lives of incredible freedom and joy that come as we submit to you. Transform us, God. Transform us by the power of the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.